Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Before we begin today, let's chat about a couple of things so that we get them off the table, shall we? First of all, I have a slight cold, okay? It's fall. I'm an allergy sufferer, which means I tend to get colds, which brings me to the second thing. A number of you have asked, is that a coffee cup that you have over there with you every week? I think concern for my soul that my addiction to coffee is too bad. And it is not. It's water. Because I'm an allergy sufferer, frequently I am congested and have issues that a bit of water is very helpful with. Okay? So now all those issues are off the table because I am going to probably sneeze at some point during this time together. And you're going to say, ooh, is he dying? I'm not. I'm fine. And I'll probably grab a little water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence today, we confess that you are God with a plan. We know this about you. And God, we want to know your plan. We want to know your plan for history. And we want to know your plan for our lives. And so, God, as we turn our attention to your word, would you speak to us today and help us to know you more deeply? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why do you think it is that holding on to a promise for a long time can be so difficult? Following directions on a long travel route can remind us just how difficult it can be to hold on to a promise for a long time. Now, GPS has totally changed the driving experience because with GPS, we typically know exactly where we are and exactly where we are going. But I want to back you up for just a moment today to the days before GPS, to the days when we would follow maps or directions that someone has given to us to to take a trip, even a trip to a place that we are unfamiliar with. And I remember the experience frequently of following maps and directions, particularly down rural roads and unfamiliar places, and coming to what I knew was the turn that I was supposed to take. But when you get to the turn, there's no sign. There's no marker telling the name of the road or even the number of the road. So you get to that road, you, you, you take the turn, and there's still no sign that confirms that you are on the right road, and the next turn is 10 miles away. And so the whole time, you're thinking on this road, am I on the right road? Am I going the right way? Or am I completely and totally lost? Following directions down a long road, particularly when you don't know can be very difficult. In a similar fashion, God made promises to Abraham and Sarah that were a long time in being fulfilled. God called Abraham and Sarah to come to the land of Canaan, and when they came to the land of Canaan, God promised them that they would have many many descendants and that those descendants would own, they would take possession of the land of Canaan. But then when they arrived, there were no children. Nearly 25 years passed, and there were still 
no descendants for Abraham and Sarah. Well, sometimes when God takes a long time in fulfilling a promise, it can be difficult to hold on to that promise. When God says he's going to do something and we don't see it done immediately, it becomes difficult to hold on to that promise. When God says that he is going to send judgment and we don't see anything happening, it becomes difficult. We ask questions. Did God mean what he said? Did I misunderstand God? Holding on to promises when their fulfillment takes a long time can be very difficult. And so a question that we need to ask ourselves today is, can I, can we, can we hold on to God's promises even for a long time? And as we look at the Old Testament today, we see that Abraham did. Abraham did hold on to God's promises for a very long time. So Abraham shows us that it's possible And Abraham shows us how. You see, as we turn to the Old Testament today, we discover that God made promises to Abraham and Sarah. As we pick up in Genesis chapter 18 and verses 1 and 2, we find actually the Lord appearing again to Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 and 2 read, And the Lord appeared to him, that is to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran to the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. So now the text tells us something that Abraham doesn't know. The Lord has appeared. Now what the Bible does tell us is that Abraham was having a siesta. He was snoozing. He was drowsy. It was the heat of the day. He was just on the inside of his tent, and at some point he dozed off. And when he woke up, there were three men standing there who had not been there before. Those three men represent the appearance of the Lord. These are, this is God in a kind of flesh, which is a foreshadowing of Jesus, who is God in the flesh. And this is the Lord appearing in three persons, which foreshadows our understanding of God as Trinity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the Lord standing in front of Abraham, but Abraham doesn't know who this is yet. And so he simply comes to the door of the tent to meet the three men, and he falls down on the ground, and he bows before them. And then, as we continue in verses 3 through 8, Abraham extends hospitality to his guests. We pick up. And Abraham said, "'O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant.'" Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. 
So Abraham addresses these guests now, and he may have a suspicion that the Lord is appearing to him, but he doesn't know for sure. He says, oh Lord, but what he means in Hebrew is not, oh Lord God, it is sir, it is Adonai, sir, if I have found favor in your sight. And he offers to extend hospitality to allow them to wash their feet before they continue on their journey, which they accept. And so Abraham goes to make everything ready. He goes into the tent and he tells Sarah to get a very large quantity of flour and start baking. She's making bread that that is going to feed an army. He goes to his, his herd and he takes the choicest calf and has it quickly slaughtered and the beef prepared for his guests. He brings cheese curds and milk and he personally serves these guests. His hospitality is abundant. But then as we continue into verses 9 through 11, the Lord asks about Sarah. They said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So now God asks a question that he knows the answer to. Where is Sarah? I mean, first of all, Abraham has not identified his wife's name as Sarah, and God knows this. He knows that Abraham's wife's name is Sarah. Where is Sarah? If he knows her name, he knows exactly where she is. But God asks us these kind of questions. Where are you? Where is Sarah? She's in the tent. And and God says that he is going to return in a year. And in that year, when he returns, Sarah is going to have become pregnant. She's going to have a child. And the Bible then reminds us of the critical piece of information that we need here. And that is that Abraham and Sarah are very old at this point. Sarah has reached 90 years of age. She is past her childbearing years. This thing that that God is saying is going to happen can't happen by natural means. And then in verse 12, we get Sarah's reaction. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Sarah laughed. Sarah knew the promise that she and Abraham would have children, would have heirs. It was a promise that was so real when they came to the land of Canaan. She held on to that promise. She longed to have children. She longed for she and Abraham to have heirs. She kept to that promise for years. But that promise was a long time in coming. It was 25 years later. And it seems that somewhere along the way, Sarah let go of that promise. She wasn't holding on to it any longer. And so when the Lord said, you're going to have a baby, and she overheard God say it again, she laughed. And it wasn't the laughter of joy. It was the laughter of irony and of pain. (laughs) Is this really going to happen? 
But then as we continue into verses 13 through 15, the Lord confronted Abraham and Sarah. The text continues, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So the Lord asks the question, why did Sarah laugh? And God says, the Lord is capable of this thing. The Lord is the one who made the world. If God made the world, then causing an older woman to become pregnant and have a baby is nothing for the Lord. Why did Sarah laugh? She should know this. At that point, Sarah came out of the tent and fearful at being exposed, she said, I didn't laugh, to which God just replies simply, yeah, you did. You laughed. We all know it. It happened. God has affirmed a promise. This is a big promise. This is a difficult to hold on to kind of promise after 25 years. God made promises to Abraham and Sarah. God's promises to Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac were part of a much bigger plan. As we continue on, we find out that a year later, Sarah did give birth to a son. The Bible makes it clear in Genesis chapter 21 that Sarah did become pregnant. It was something that could only happen by God. She did carry that child to full term. She did give birth to a child, and the child that was born was healthy. And a year later, Abraham and Sarah had a son. And the text tells us that when they did, really everyone was laughing I don't know if you remember, but last week we talked about a time when the Lord appeared to Abraham. That time must have been weeks or months before the Lord walked into the camp of Abraham by the Oaks of Mamre because Abraham was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to him that time. And God said, you are indeed going to have a child, a son, by Sarah, your wife. And the Bible says that when that happened, Abraham laughed. Abraham laughed. And God said, I'm not joking. You are going to have a son. Oh, and by the way, you're going to call him Isaac, which means he laughs. And then when God appeared to Abraham in the form of these three men and reaffirmed the promise, a year from now, Sarah is going to give birth, Sarah laughed, despite the fact that she denied it. And a year later, Sarah gave birth to a child, a son, and Abraham did as the Lord had commanded. He named him Isaac. He laughs. And everyone was laughing at that point. Sarah was laughing with indescribable joy. Abraham was laughing with joy and pride. And everyone was laughing to see the joy that Abraham and Sarah had. Everyone was laughing when Isaac was born. But no one was laughing when God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Years 
passed. Abraham and Isaac. Isaac grew up, and the Lord again spoke to Abraham. God called Abraham by name, and Abraham said, here I am, a response that means I'm here and I'm available. What is it that you want from me? And God told Abraham to take Isaac to a mountain in the region of Moriah. God said, I'll show you which mountain I mean when you get there. And tradition holds that the mountain that God had in mind is the mountain upon which the temple in Jerusalem was eventually built. And God said, when you get to that mountain, go to the top of that mountain. And when you get to the top of that mountain, I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. An unthinkable command to give. But the Bible says that the next morning, early in the morning, Abraham got up with no delay And Abraham and Isaac left with a donkey, with two servants, with wood to make a sacrifice and began a journey. Three days into the journey, they were in the region of Moriah. And Abraham looked up and he saw saw the mountain. He knew the mountain. And he left his donkey and he left his servants. And he and Isaac set out toward that mountain with the wood, with a dagger and with fire in hand to make the sacrifice. But in this, we discover that Abraham has come to know God as Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. Because as they made their way up the mountain, Isaac began to ask questions. He said, where where is the lamb? Where is the sacrifice that we are going to make? And Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. But when they got to the top of the mountain, Abraham built an altar. They put the wood on the altar. And then, and then, Abraham bound Isaac and put him on top of the wood and pulled out his dagger and prepared to plunge it in and slaughter Isaac in preparation for offering him up. And that's the moment at which God spoke again, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham replied, here I am. And in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, we read, he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, your only son from me. And it was at that moment that Abraham looked up and saw in a bramble nearby that a ram had gotten its horns caught in the thorns. And Abraham took that ram and sacrificed it to God instead and then recognized that God had been faithful, that he had been right. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, we read, so Abraham called the name of that place, look at this, the Lord will provide As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord will provide. In Hebrew, the phrase is Yahweh Yirah, or as we more commonly pronounce it in English, Jehovah Jireh. God, he had come to know, is the Lord who will provide. Through all the long road that Abraham had been on in life, through the many wrong turns that he had taken, and through the many turns and all of the waiting, 
Abraham had learned that God is Jehovah Jireh, God who will provide. The New Testament tells us that Abraham went up that mountain fully expecting that God would work. But it's confirmed in the very words of the Old Testament. The Old Testament tells us that as Abraham left the two young men and the donkey, he already was professing that he knew that somehow God would provide up on that mountain. It's not revealed in the way that the English Standard Version, which is the Bible that we most frequently use, states it, but it's there in the Hebrew, and it's shown in the way that the New International Version translates Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, which says, Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then, look at that, we will come back to you. Abraham and Isaac, we will go to worship, and we, Abraham and Isaac, will come back to you. Abraham trusted God. He had learned that God is God who will provide. The Lord will provide. He is Jehovah Jireh. And Abraham trusted that. And as a result, we see a much bigger plan opening and unfolding in front of us. God says, because of what you have done, we see that the future is now secure. God said, I have made promises to you in the past, and I confirm those promises. I see now that you are a person of faith, that you will hold nothing back from me, and I surely will bless you. I surely will give you many descendants, and I will give your descendants the land. I will bless you, and through your offspring... All the nations of earth will be blessed. God reaffirms his promises to Abraham. The future is secure, and we see in these incidents in Abraham and Sarah's life, in Isaac's life, that God's much bigger plan is unfolding and being revealed to us. And we realize that God has a plan for today and tomorrow and for everything in between. God's plan begins in Genesis chapter 1 with creation. If, if you want, you can draw it and reflect it with a circle. God made the world and everything and everyone in it, and he made us because he wants to have a relationship with us. It's the way God made the world in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. But in those same chapters, we find brokenness coming into the world. You can symbolize it with a, a line straight down the center of the circle. And that means that we have sinned and we have broken ourselves and the world. And Genesis chapters 1 through 11 tell the story elegantly. Sin came into the world. And behind sin came destruction and death. Very quickly, human beings were murdering one another. And as you continue reading those chapters, you discover that sin became so profound, so deadly, that God cleansed the earth through a flood. But even after God cleansed sin from the earth through a flood, we find humanity in pride building a tower, thinking that we can climb all the way to heaven and push God out and take his place. Sin is profound, brokenness is profound, and it seemed to have ruined God's plan. But it did in this sense. We can't repair what is broken. But in Abraham, God was intervening in history 
to guide his plan toward the future and toward doing what we could not do. In chapter 3, Jesus, we see that Abraham's near sacrifice of Isaac is pointing us toward the crux of God's plan, which is Jesus. You see, up on Mount Moriah, Abraham nearly sacrificed his only son, his only son. Jesus is God's only son. The text says that Abraham nearly sacrificed his only son. That's what it says in Hebrew. Centuries later, when translators translated the Old Testament into Greek because more people could read that in that day, when they translated that phrase, your only son, into Greek, the phrase that they used was your beloved son. Now, I want you to read from Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. This is at the baptism of Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven, this is from the Father, said, this is my, look at that, beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the Father's beloved son. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, we read something that we read repeatedly in the New Testament. In Jesus' own words, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his, look at that, only son. Jesus is the only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so God is saying, Abraham, I see that you are willing to sacrifice your only, your beloved son, And God was saying, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I will sacrifice my only, my beloved son to pay the price for your sin. Jesus is that lamb that Abraham said God would provide. Abraham said, the Lord is going to provide the lamb. And Jesus is that lamb of God. The New Testament repeatedly calls Jesus the lamb of God who died in our place to pay the price for our sin, to do that which we could not do for ourselves. Abraham's near sacrifice of Isaac is pointing us to Jesus, the very crux of God's plan. But then chapter 4 is the church. You see, in the church, God is keeping the promises that he made to Abraham. God said, Abraham, in your offspring, I will bless all the nations of the earth. The offspring is one. The offspring of Abraham, his ultimate descendant, is Jesus. In Jesus, God will bless all the nations of the earth. And now that Jesus is risen from the dead, God the Holy Spirit is sending his church into the world. We symbolize that with a downward arrow. And the church is carrying to the nations the good news of forgiveness, new life, and eternal life in Jesus. And we are bringing all the nations of the earth to Jesus, one at a time. That's how God is keeping the promise he made to Abraham, that through his offspring, Jesus, all the nations of the world would be blessed. The church is part of God fulfilling that plan. And the next and last chapter in God's plan is return of Jesus, which we symbolize with a crown for King Jesus. And my point today is not to tell you all the details of what God's return, what Jesus' return will look like, but to say that it reverses the things that happen in Genesis chapters 3 through 11. Jesus returns 
And the nations that have been bitterly divided one from the other are gathered together again before the throne of God. Mourning and suffering and crying and pain that came into creation as a result of sin are wiped away. Sin and death and evil and everything and everyone that belongs to sin and death and evil is cast into a lake of fire to be judged eternally, and heaven and earth are made new. So God has a plan for today, for tomorrow, and for everything in between. God is moving history in a direction, and we see this in the life of Abraham. Despite his flaws, God was moving Abraham through life as part of his plan for history, and the same is true in our lives. God has a plan, and our lives fit into it, and God is moving us toward a future that he has planned. This is the promise that God has made to us. So let's hold on to God's promises. As we walk with God, let's hold on to his promises. I understand that at times the road can seem long. We're living in light of God's promises to us, and we know that this is all going somewhere. God has promised us that it would. But frankly, sometimes life and history seem long. Sometimes it can feel as if we are driving on a long rural road and there are very few signposts along the way to help us know that we're not lost. Sometimes it can seem like we have to hold on to God's promises for a long time. And holding on to God's promises at times can become difficult. Holding on to God's promise that he is with us can be difficult when we feel alone. Holding on to God's promise that he is our provider can feel tough when we face difficulty. Holding on to God's promise that we are forgiven and that we have new life. We're adopted as the sons and daughters. Can be difficult. When every message that we are given says the opposite. Holding on to God's promise that We're ambassadors of the kingdom of God entrusted with a message of reconciliation for individuals and for the nations can feel difficult when that message is rejected. Holding on to God's promise 
that this is all headed toward eternal life with him. can be difficult when we live in a world that's focused entirely on here and now. But Abraham held on to the promises of God. Abraham made mistakes along the way as he walked with God. But through all the twists and turns that Abraham's life took, he came to understand this about God. God is Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. And Abraham learned that he could trust God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide with his today and his tomorrow. So let's hold on to God's promises. God is taking us through the journey of life, if we are his disciples, toward eternity with him. God, the Holy Spirit, is with us in this process, making us new from the inside, encouraging us and empowering us. God himself is moving us along this journey, which means that we can trust him with today, with tomorrow, and with everything in between. And if we can trust him, then we can hold on to his promises. Abraham did. And that's how we walk with God. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.